Hello, hello, hello. The bell has rung, and welcome once again to the Dr. Digital Podcast. Another great episode coming your way. Thanks for listening in. Let's get started. Chapter 5, The Eunuch. I felt Anne slowly backing away. Though my eyes were almost completely closed, I could see enough to view Anne withdrawing her hands from a quarter of an inch away, and then withdrawing her hands from my eyes. Anne started toward Vishnu. This is not helping me any, and I'm done. I've had it. I can't sit here any longer. I won't listen to any more. With that pronouncement, Anne stormed out and slammed the door. I had Vishnu's full attention now. He looked like a guy who had missed out in grad school. What to do when the client attacks a partner in counseling class? Vishnu regained his composure and said, Polly, this is couples counseling, and I don't think it serves any purpose for only one person to be here. There is much anger present. I advocate for your child's best interest. I had gotten out my checkbook. Thanks for trying, I said. I'm not sure what my next move is now. I called Robert to update him. What do you mean Anne didn't attend the court class? The court requires attendance, I was told. Paul, drop it. You have a support hearing scheduled for now. You best concentrate on getting your files, IRS returns, and document everything, Robert said. I began to hate Robert. The court demands everything. Paper. Documentation. Gotcha. I first saw the eunuch when he strolled through the security gates at the court in East Chesterfield. Anne sacked Philly sharpshooter Judith, who couldn't get in easily from Philadelphia to the county court in East Chesterfield, replaced by eunuch. Wilhelm J. Livid of Whaling and Livid, LLC, practiced family law from his office at 442 South Low Street, East Chesterfield, a three-block walk to the courthouse featuring the Ten Commandments on an outside wall. I would say he was late 50s based on his facial creases and worry lines. He had a medium build, a serpentine neck. Wilhelm, or Bill, looked indistinguishable in a crowd at first glance, but I observed him closely. Bill looked like such a sweetheart, I wondered if he was born on Valentine's Day. Impeccably dressed, a Nazi-like mustache tickling his upper lip, the security guard deferred to him, and he deftly placed his lawyer case to be examined, finished his cell call while nodding assent to something Anne said. He is a master of multitasking. That was obvious. I leaned over and nudged Robert. He looked up. His files slipped from his grasp. I caught them with my left hand. I frowned. Bill and I go way back, Robert said, brushing his hair back, and he straightened up his slouching posture. Robert was wearing the same crumpled jacket he always seemed to wear. Standard blue. I wondered if he pressed his shirts. Mr. Livid, I presume? Robert shot me a curious glance. I researched Bill on Lawyers.com and surveyed my notes on him. Admitted 1973, Pennsylvania, U.S. District Court, Eastern District of Pennsylvania, and U.S. Court of Appeals, Third Circuit, U.S. Supreme Court, Law School, Dickinson School of Law, J.D., 1973, Temple University, B.B.A., 1970, member East Chesterfield County and Pennsylvania Bar Associations, Special Master in Divorce, East Chesterfield County. As Robert got up to greet Bill, I brushed a piece of lint off his jacket. Robert didn't notice. All rise. The court grew silent as the judge entered the room. Be seated. The attorneys conferred with the clerks at the front. 
God, it's stifling in here. I wondered if it was a bus station or an abandoned store in a past life. This is simply a room primped up for legal work. The walls are a drab gray, a faux colonial house, a Lincoln, a Washington, and a judge's gavel adorn the walls. The audience sat stiffly like zombies, the humid air battered by the legal buzz and the staccato rhythm of computer keyboards which haunted my nervousness. Bill the eunuch maneuvered theist versus theist to the top of the court list. Round one, the eunuch versus Robert. Bill said, we will conference with our clients and report back, your honor. Very well, the judge stated. Robert pulled my arm as we strode to the witness waiting room. Did you ask Bill about Katrin's big Afghan? Yes, his suggestion is that if Ann won't give you the Afghan to you, then just split it in two. That way, Katrin has one with you and another went home with her mother. I stopped Robert dead in his tracks by lightly holding his left elbow. What? Are you kidding me? That's not a solution. That's cruel. Over my dead body, Katrin should have her Afghan all the time, complete, no matter where she is or which of us she is with. Who is to say where Katrin's home is? Wherever her mom runs to is home? Come on. Maybe. You have an immediate problem, though. Look at who is in there. Who do you recognize? How do they feel about you? I look through the porthole-like window in the stuffy witness room. I know two people. Frank is a svelte 50 or so. He has a smart-looking mustache, thin build, from an Italian family who immigrated to Venezuela. Frank is the snappy product of the intermingling, prone to wearing, as he did today, a formal, distinguished gray suit and tie. Good God, Robert, that's my old supervisor. What the hell is he doing here? Rosa is a lovely woman, very sweet personality, African-American, late 40s, not quite a big, beautiful woman, but husky build, single mom, raised two twin daughters, both starting college. And the woman in the green dress is head of human resources. What's going on? We secluded ourselves into a corner as well as we could, but within earshot of a court clerk. I got a fax that they have been subpoenaed. Bill is requesting all records, like I told you, and they will testify. Do they like you? I whispered. I don't follow. Why? I have my IRS records and made more money than I. The judge will assess your earning capacity. He will see you have an education. Now that you work at a dot-com, that fact, and these witnesses can state you are capable of making a great deal of money. I swear the clerk perked up her ears with the word money. So how do we settle? We agree to support. I paused for a moment, thinking, and then I noticed that the clerk had three pictures of her kids on her desk, one of her with them, but no males were pictured. But my company is prepared. I have $5,000 in a child care fund, certified au pairs, the works. The company set up child care like European companies. The clerk adjusted herself in her chair. Forget it. The court will set up a new one. Robert spoke in a normal speaking volume. The clerk pretended not to hear. You mean a government arrangement? My plan is private and for Catron. Maybe I just imagined the world listening to my finances. Paul, I'm not debating. I'm stating reality. I lightly pulled Robert out of the clerk's earshot. Anne deserted me and Catron without cause. I nodded and I'm sorry look at the clerk. The court has a plan. She nodded approvingly. How about nonsense? Sir, can you keep your voice down? The clerk finally had had enough. I'm sorry, I responded. 
Robert ignored her, stating, Your wife filed a claim for alimony and temporary alimony. The clerk huffed, a sign of disgust emitting from her lips. How long is temporary? The clerk rolled her eyes. Since she deserted you without cause, she is not entitled to alimony as a matter of law. I wonder if that damn clerk is paying attention. I'm not making things up. It appears that your wife is telling a different story than you are telling. She worked at a gym? Of course, the gym in Chesterbrook. This was possibly for cash under the table since she did not report income in the fall. How do the different stories hurt my case for Catron? Temporary alimony is Marxian, that is, from those able to pay to those in need. However, it is my belief that she has a considerable earning capacity. Look, Robert, I don't like the sound of this one bit. I formed my right hand into a point, tempted to stick it into his chest, but thought better of it. They can say I own Anne because of potential earnings, but I took care of Caitlin. What about the IRS returns? The clerk on the phone stating, Yes, I'm trying to finish before Judge Morrison is back, in an annoyed tone. Robert? Bill walked closer, and I glared at him. If you are done with your client, I think we can settle on a figure. Bill surveyed me, but made no eye contact, and he and Robert huddled near the clerk's desk. The clerk smiled at Bill, and then turned completely around with her back to Robert, and busied herself with papers at another desk. Rosa was in earshot, though still in the witness room. Nice to see you, Rosa. A bit awkward under the circumstances. I smiled and pointed to our surroundings. Rosa's face brightened into a smile. Nice to see you again, child. You trust in the Lord now, you hear? Things gonna work out just fine. I smiled slightly. The Lord? I was worried about the judge. Robert came back to say, We settled on basically a three-to-one earning capacity ratio, and he demonstrated with figures scribbled on his yellow pad. This is what the judge would have concluded anyway. The only thing we can't settle is Anne. What do I get out of it? You wanted her off the home equity loan, right? Who wouldn't? She has not paid the loan back for months before she abandoned the home. I'd like the receipts in my name. They come in Anne's name. They agree Anne will testify today as to her salary. The witnesses are dismissed. Sure enough, I looked over Robert's squat figure and saw Rosa and Frank exiting through security. Back in the courtroom, the judge declared, Mr. Livid, I read your client's deposition regarding property. You may call your first witness. Karen Blanchard, owner of Children's Clothespin, took the stand. I began to write notes to Robert on his legal pad, a task needing to be perfected during court hearings. Anne works at this clothing store for extra cash. Ms. Blanchard, Anne Theus is in your employ. What is her salary and how many hours weekly does she work? I scribbled hastily. What the hell? Minimum wage? Part-time employee? The clothing store boss dismissed. Anne, dressed in a modest cotton summer dress and looking shy, reservedly took the stand and was sworn in to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, just as the song by Ian Hunter states. The judge interjected, Mrs. Theus, I noticed that you removed the furniture from the marital home. Why did you do that? I thought Paul, my husband, might damage the items. Has he damaged the furniture before? Uh, well, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Mrs. Theus, has he damaged furniture? Counsel, please advise your client to simply answer the questions. Anne, 
Just answer the judge's questions, yes or no, if need be. Just be clear. Mrs. Theus, has your husband damaged furniture before? The judge inquired. No. Has he ever threatened to damage furniture? No. Did you have any reason to fear the furniture would have been damaged? No. Were you in fear of your husband at all? No. Did he ever abuse you or threaten to do so? No. Your witness, Mr. Livid, the judge stated. Mrs. Theus, now that you're on a leave of absence from your regular hospital job, is the clothing store your only source of income? I wrote, leave of absence? Do something! Robert turned sharply to me, a move the courtroom noticed. Yes, since he's paying off my husband's school loans, he's a doctor. I supported him through school, and, well, things are different and difficult for my daughter and me, so I needed a break. I went to California for a rest. I work full-time while doing my doctoral work full-time as well. Hastily, I wrote, lies, lies, lies. Robert held my arm to stop scratching on his pads. Too late, the judge glowered at me. Thank you for your testimony, Mrs. Theus. You may step down. Anne carefully held her cotton dress with one hand and gently stepped down. She purposely returned next to the eunuch. I sensed the crowd swayed with sympathy for a single mom. Will counsel please rise? The judge said. Robert motioned for me to stand, as were Bill and Anne. This is Mick, the Doctor of Digital, signing off. Mick, as in Jagger, except he's got more money. Mick, the Doctor of Digital, signing off. The Doctor of Digital, like cotton candy for your ears, Deus Volt.